and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is Guerra Kiwana. In today's episode, we're revisiting the world of big data to see where it is now and where it's going. Large banks are some of the first big believers in the power of big data. But initial teething issues and institutional complacency meant that those initial hopes weren't quite achieved. However, the potential of big data has progressed in leaps and bounds since those early days. And it's time to revisit where we go from here. So what have been the successes? What has proved challenging? And how can big data help us unlock the future of AI and embedded finance, among other innovations? But before we start, we just want to tell you a little bit about something we're cooking up here at 11FS and a quick word from our sponsors. Temnos is a world leader in banking software, helping over 3,000 banks deliver outstanding banking experiences to more than 1.2 billion people. Scale 2021 is Temenos's dedicated, free-to-attend virtual developer event. It includes customer presentations, product demos, roadmap sessions, as well as opportunities for you to speak with Temenos experts. You'll also hear insights from industry leaders on current technology trends and how they impact banking today. Whether you're a developer, consultant, or business user, discover the latest in banking technology with Temenos software. Search Temenos Scale 2021 to find out more. Banks need to adopt a cloud-first approach. When you consider all the benefits that cloud-based systems offer, it should be a no-brainer. Banks can work faster and smarter to deliver market-leading services at scale. Read more about moving to the cloud in our latest report in association with Encino. Just head to bit.ly forward slash cloud banking report. As always, I'm not alone. I am joined by a panel of expert guests who will help shed some light on all things big data. Making his FinTech Insider debut, we've got Richard Hamilton Stove, Director of Consulting at 11FS. Welcome to your first uh, FinTech Insider podcast, Richard. Um, Can you give the listeners a brief insight into your role here at 11FS? Sure. Thanks, Guerra. Yes, glad to be here. I've listened to a lot of podcasts and um, really excited to be on the show in person. So yes, I'm a director in the consulting part of the business. Uh, I joined fairly recently um, at 11FS, having done about 10 years of traditional consulting um, prior to that. And essentially, I've joined to uh, complete the 99% of digital banking that is yet to be finished. I tend to look after accounts um, that we have, our major accounts. And so everything from crypto all the way through to data and and customer experience, uh, depending on the project. Uh, But effectively... Yes, director in the consulting practice. It's awesome. Really excited to have you here. Um, also appearing for the first time, we've got Sarah Welch, managing director at Kirinos. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you give us an elevator pitch on Kirinos and uh, how you're currently using big data? Sure. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, so Kirinos is really all about helping financial institutions and banks attract, retain, and develop much deeper, better relationships with the customers that they have. And so big data is absolutely at the heart of everything that we do. Um, We work with pretty extensive customer data sets. I kind of like to say we have a wide angle lens on customer behavior across deposits and lending. And we ultimately do three things with uh, with that data. One, we provide benchmarks in BI, so helping our, our bank clients figure out how, how are we doing today and how can we improve. 
to deliver custom analytics and insights. So this is all about understanding how you can improve on what customers you're reaching today and how you might be able to reach customers in entirely new ways um, in the future. And the last is optimization. We have two different optimization engines. One's for pricing, it's called PriceTech, and the other is for marketing, and it's called Amplero. And both of those are, are really about optimizing and driving the efficiency of either your pricing decisions or your communications decisions. Uh, and last but by no means least, making up our three-person panel of experts, we've got Todd Winship, uh, Product Director of Analytics at Temenos. Uh, so Todd, welcome to the show. Uh, our audience may be familiar with Temenos, uh, but can you tell us a little bit about the company and your role within the company? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the, the show. Uh, for people that aren't familiar with Temenos, um, we're the largest provider of banking software globally. So we provide software to about 3,000 banks and about 1.2 billion people in the world um, have their transactions running through Temenos systems in one way, shape, or form. So I think Temenos is actually has a big place to play in the big data world in banking because I think we're one of the biggest generators of big data uh, in banking, actually. But for me specifically, I'm responsible for data and analytics products globally. So that covers things like data, reporting, analytics, and working closely with our regulatory um, and AI teams. And traditionally, that was work that was a lot of back office work. So regulatory reporting and other things related to data around core banking, et cetera. Uh, but lately, um, the world's become a lot more fun for us because we're doing a lot of work with our digital teams and our AI teams to really build the next generation of big data and AI infused digital banking applications. So we've got a number of examples of those we've been building and hopefully we'll get to talk about a few of those today. Awesome. Really great to have you all on board. So let's get started. Um, so we're going to take a look at an overview of the market at first. And, and really, let's let's start with a big question. Um, and Richard, I'm going to come to you directly. Uh, so let's start with all things big data and where things stand in 2021. What is big data, Richard? Well, I think if you ask, you know, 10 different people what big data is, they'll probably get 10 different answers. But here's my take. So Essentially, big data is a set of technologies that were originally developed by Google and Amazon when they started facing into massive unstructured data sets across their enterprise, either too large or just too complex to handle using traditional technologies. So taking unstructured data, streaming data, uh, taking all sorts of uh, different types of data with all sorts of different complexities associated with it. And then once you've got a handle on that, actually looking to apply another set of technologies. So this is where the machine learning and AI technologies come in. Um, so you get things like predictive analytics, behavioral analytics, uh, natural language processing, um, and all sorts of other techniques that uh, sort of broadly fall under the AI umbrella. So fundamentally, it's a set of technologies that allows data to be taken from all sorts of disparate places, organized into one place, processed, and then moved on to uh, more uh, focused business applications. That'd be my take on it. And, you know, I think we've, we've definitely come a long way in the last 10 years alone in, in terms of how people define big data and, and, and how it's used even, and, and even access to big data and access to, to analytics for big data. Uh, so Sarah, I'm gonna come to you. Where, where are we currently on the, big, on the journey of big data's potential? Um, specifically in financial services, I say we're 
starting to scratch the surface, but um, barely, you know, there is so much opportunity to leverage data in better ways, more quickly, across more interaction moments. So, you know, I think, I think there, it's, it's a really exciting time to be in this space and, and playing around big data. Um, but, and there are some exciting things and innovations that are coming out of risk modeling and, and the like, but, you know, we're just getting started. It's, it's picking up pace, but we have a long way to go. Yeah. And, you know, Todd, you, you work quite closely with, with large banks and, you know, as, as at Temenos, um, and they obviously use data. And as, as Sarah's mentioned, like we are really just scratching the surface. I genuinely think that we're only 1% done with, with, you know, our ability to use it. So what, in your experience, what success, what are the big successes we've seen of big data um, when used by financial services specifically to date? Um, I, I think the traditional ones are things like financial crime and um, AML as an example, master customer. So bringing together multiple disparate customer sources to drive customer engagement. Uh, we've done a lot of great work there with some of our Canadian clients as an example to really help them drive not only strategy, but execution. There's been lots of interesting ones actually, such as ones in emerging markets like alternative credit scoring in places like Africa, as an example, that are using non-traditional sources like telco and weather forecasting and other geospatial data to drive uh, micro lending to farmers in developing countries as an example. So I think we've, we've, we've done some stuff, but I totally agree with Sarah. There is so much more to do. You know, the stats say we're only analyzing today about 5% of the data we have at our disposal. So lots more great work to do. Um, feel free to jump in here, Sarah, but I, I think that that um, really the potential, like you said, I, I, like, I like that you touched on the fact that we're only just getting started, but can you like just paint a bit of a picture of, of the way that big data was being used 10, 15 years ago and how it's being used now? Uh, and also look at, looking at the market of who's using it as well. So like it, it, 10, 15 years ago, I imagine big data really was only accessible by large, well-funded bodies, governments. Um, but now it's it's a lot more accessible. Would you say it's been democratized even potentially? Um, we're getting there. Um, I wouldn't say we're entirely to a democratized uh, space of big data yet, um, but but we're going in the right direction. You know, I think the expense of moving around data, of getting it out of lots of different silos, of moving it into environments where you you could have the computing power to really work on it productively, um, was really the limiting factor. Um, you know where, you know, certainly big governments, certainly, you know, within banks and financial institutions, it was um, really where is the return going to be from making the huge investment in playing with that data. And so they were in risk um, and, and potentially in pricing, um, you know, 10 years ago. And now we see that as the cost of moving the, and analyzing that data has come down, we, we're seeing its application in everything, as Todd was indicating, from kind of in-app uh, experiences to marketing experiences um, and beyond. So uh, I think it, it really is about kind of the where is the point of diminishing returns? Where's the cost trade-off? And that is that's what's been shape-shifting. 
And I'm just going to stay with you for a second, Sarah. Uh, how, how exactly, because you're in the thick of it. You guys really at Kirinos really are in the thick of it. So how are you using big data on a day-to-day with, with your clients in, in financial services? Sure. So depending on the use case, um, we're taking in account, transaction, interaction, and message feedback data. So, you know, I think we're, we're over petabyte fast growing in terms of the size. We don't touch PII. Um, So everything we do is working off anonymized IDs. And basically, we take in data from disparate places. We have a pipeline that's specifically built for financial services. So that means we have standard definitions, but flexible enough taxonomies that let us kind of use that incoming raw data in lots of different ways. Um, And then we also take in third-party data like geolocation data and and enrich our sets where it makes sense. And then once our data is sort of in a a central lake, we're, we're kind of emerging to what our CTO likes to call a lake house paradigm, which is... Uh, kind of best of data lake, best of data warehouses. And basically, it enables different data marts to uh, pull in data as needed. So for example, in marketing, we have a benchmark called Acquisition IQ that analyzes the uh, marketing spend and how many new to bank relationships were driven from marketing spend um, and the quality of those relationships and ultimately kind of getting down to a customer level acquisition score. Um, We have a scoring pipeline that creates, you know, lots of new customer flags using machine learning techniques. And then in Amplero, it's taking in all of the data and using AI-based decisioning to drive a test and learn agenda for marketing interactions. So we use a lot of data. We bring in that data to a centralized place and make it readily available to individual kind of marts within Kirinos that are focused on particular use case problems. That's uh, that's amazing. I, I really like the analogy, the the, the lake house. Um, but really, can you go a little bit deeper? And anyway, you guys also can feel free to jump in. Can you explain the difference between a, a data lake and a data warehouse? Is that is that um, t- would that be tough to do in in thirty seconds? Or is that and then um, and then the lake house. <laughs> I might not be the the best technical person to define uh, define data lake versus data warehouse. I mean, data lake to to my not technical orientation is sort of the place is the holding tank basically for all of the data. Um, it is basically cleaned uh, data that is ready for deployment and use and sort of readily pulled um, readily pulled from a data warehouse is potentially more structured and I would sort of maybe look to Todd and Richard for their their definitions on the distinction between a warehouse and, and a lake. That's my non-technical understanding. Yeah I think I think the lake is uh, I mean it's a really overused term um, and I think a lot of banks certainly decided, We've got this data lake in front of us here. We can we can bring all the data that we've got in all these silos all over the bank, and we'll solve all our data problems by getting it into one place. And then we'll have this sort of mythical single view of the customer, and everything will be cheaper because it's running on the cloud, and we don't have to pay licenses. And so this lake is this kind of um, aspirational place that I think was um, ultimately didn't really come 
to realize its potential, or at least hasn't done yet within a bank's context. So, you know, getting data from one part of the bank to another is quite hard. Bringing that data with the context for, that it has is even harder. And often they'll have logic built into it as well. And so actually getting things into the lake is only half the problem. Um, you've got to try and clean it, as, as Sarah said, and you've also got to make sure that it has some you know, sort of structure and some relevance to the problems you're going to try and solve as well. So the, so the, data, the data lake is a bit it's seductive because it wants you to think, oh, we'll just pour everything into the lake and then it's all there. But in fact, it's a lot more difficult than that. And in fact, a lot of teams who have data pipelines will often set up their teams in sort of three separate ways. So they'll have a team that's working on ingestion and organizing the data. So they're basically bringing it from where it is in towards the lake. There'll be people who run the infrastructure that manage the data and make sure that it's uh, accessible to the, all the applications that need to use it. And then there'll be people who actually apply the algorithms and machine learning on top of that data. So if you think about it in those three parts, that may be sort of, you know, the, let's say the lake shore, if you like, or I like the lake house, but uh, yeah, I think that's probably one way of looking at it, those three sections. Um, all right. So, we, I mean, we could really go on and on uh, like about this, but I, I want to I want us to move and zero in a little bit on some of the things you've touched on, which is really around the challenges. So so having set out on, to talk about how things work currently in the world of big data, it's time to look at some of the challenges faced and, and those still still to come. Um, Richard, again, I'm going to start with you here. Uh, we've talked about big banks and the, the struggle with the initial well, struggle or even journey on the initial embrace of, of big data. How is that? wave of enthusiasm played out in practice you've 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 been in the big bank energy space uh can you give us a little bit of insight on that yeah so i think it's um it, you shouldn't underestimate how disorganized data sets are within a bank and how discordant they are you know they 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 are spread over legacy systems that have been built over the last 30 40 years there are newer platforms that don't to speak to them and so there's a lot of interconnectivity that sort of almost bespoke data flows that go along um, all, all the way across the bank. So I think that getting from that place where everything is, you know, tremendously complex and disorganized into a much more structured space is going to take time. Um, so I think that's one thing just to know. I think the other thing that is, is really important is the amount of, um, logic and customer information that's sort of bound together. And so historically, a lot of, um, a lot of databases might be linked directly to an application. So you might create a database for a particular uh, feature that you're developing to, for a customer. And that can tend to start in, in, you know, almost inheriting part of the, um, the, the, the sense of what that application is about rather than be a set of data on its own objectively. So I think that's something that, that banks have struggled with, that logic and business logic contained within the data. And how do you bring that into the data lake without losing it? And then there's a governance issue. Um, and so a lot of times I, I've spoken to a lot of people um, who own a platform, let's say. So this is the IT director. He owns this platform and he doesn't really want to necessarily let go of the data because of the responsibility that they feel for how that data is used. So Sarah mentioned PII. That's pretty obvious. There's GDPR as well. So there's a lot of nervousness around letting go and letting letting go of your control of that data. And I think these are some of the sort of big obstacles that have sort of got in the way of banks really uh, taking advantage of it as other more sort of native internet companies have done. Mm -hmm. And and Todd, let's come to you. You With Temenos, um, you work with large banks and other financial institutions. What challenges have, have you seen uh, that, that, that these you know, your, your clients and other people, partners you work with have to overcome because 
Richard makes a really great point around the, the need for control. Um, have you found that to be the case in, in the work that you've been doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of challenges, I would focus on maybe a couple of things. Uh, first is production, right? So big data needs to originate somewhere, right, at the source. So I think there's a lot of source systems out there that don't support the production and efficiency of, of big data. So for instance, in our core banking systems, we stream everything out in real time, uh, quality check it on the way out, provide curated data sets that are specific to specific or particular use cases and provide all that, that data and curated data as API. So the bank uh, or FinTech or partner is not limited in any way to the applications that they want to create, whether those be AI or, or whatever. They have full access to all that, that big data for integration into their lake or lake house or, or whatever they want to do, right? Um, the second piece would be execution. So putting the data into the lake itself does nothing, right? You need to be able to analyze that, do feature engineering on it, do research and development on that data. So it needs to be accessible, number one. Number two, what happens to all those insights, right? Traditionally, those insights were in the back office on someone's dashboard, and then they were making a human decision to take action. But what we're doing at Temenos, one of the unique opportunities we have is we have a core banking system. We have a transact, we have, as an example, we have uh, a digital banking system with infinity. So we're able to do everything end to end. So when we go ahead and uh, wanna build, have a new idea to build a new model, a new algorithm, we can source the data directly because we have all the data we need from our core banking system. When we get insights from that AI, we can action those directly in our digital channels. So we we just we just delivered a, a one of these applications to one of our Canadian clients that's focused on SMEs as an example. So in that application, we're using what we call our smart banking platform, which is the combination of our data lake technology, our analytics technology, and our explainable AI technology, all bundled into one integrated platform that is taking in bank and non-bank data sources for SMEs. So transactional data from the bank and other data that the SME actually owns, running that through several um, explainable AI algorithms to produce insights for the customer at the front end. So the customer is getting those insights. So as an example, the cash flow modeling there determines whether there's short-term um, gaps in cash flow for the SME and can suggest in real time, short-term lending products or invoice financing products and things that are immediately relevant to those customers, right? So that end execution is really important uh, for us. I think we have a unique capability to actually um, deliver on it. And, you know, um, those those solutions are, I just love them because they're win-win, right? The bank wins because they sell relevant product. The end customer wins because they're getting exactly what they need when they need it. Um, and we do a, a, a piece of um, analysis work with The Economist every year and, you know, if, if it says that, you know, if you're using big data and AI effectively, your NPS scores are going to go up by at least 20%, right? And we're definitely seeing that. So um, that's, that's how I would answer your, your, your question. I mean, so I like that you've touched on AI, you know, like also Canada, very, very well known for the innovation around AI that's happened there, um, you know, really, really exciting times. But, you know, what I feel like the AI revolution that we potentially expected hasn't quite come yet. Like, 
I still pick up the phone to my bank and have to go through so many hoops just to to explain the my last transaction. You know, they should see my phone number coming and validate, you know, use data to understand that it's me and then immediately provide me the service that I need. So I, I just feel like we haven't quite got there. What stopped big data from leading that revolution that we've expected that we expected? I thought it was a really good point that Todd had there around, you know, once that insight is developed, it comes to a dashboard and then someone will then take that dashboard and, you know, set up some business rules that get executed at the contact center or somewhere else. And I think that kind of disconnection is exactly what you're, what you're zeroing in on there, Guerra. Um, and that sort of connectivity from front to back is, is, is much harder to do with the composite systems that banks generally tend to have. So Todd may say, well, you should just go Terminos all the way through and then you'll get this sort of smooth connectivity. And, you know, I think he's got a point there, but should that not be the case, you've still got to replicate what Terminos has managed to do natively. And I, and, and I think that sort of connectivity all the way through to the end is, is really where um, we're going to start seeing the difference um, at a customer facing end rather than that kind of operational and cost saving stuff where a lot of AI is being used for banks up to this point. Yeah, I would I would echo both what Todd and Richard have said and and say there's probably one more layer too, um, which is people and the sort of organizational structures, which um, in banks have really been built around products, not people. Um, and so all of the P&Ls, all of the sort of operating momentum of organizations need to shift to customer centric um, as well. So I think that's another another piece of the puzzle, but certainly the plumbing um, and the the end to end connectivity um, is is essential and, and a big roadblock. Yeah, I, I would just add one thing to that, maybe in, in terms of regulation, I think in a regulated industry like banking, um, people just don't move as fast as other unregulated industries, you know, um, won't name any companies, but I think we know the ones, right? Um, but we're starting to use some some new techniques like synthetic data and differential privacy, which really opens up the data assets for use without falling afoul of, of any of the uh, legislation, whether it be GDPR or CCPA or any of those other things. So I think there's some really good new techniques out there that we use and banks can use to open up those data assets for research, development, and you know, lots more things. So hopefully you'll get what you need clear up in the future. Yeah, I, I hope so. Damn, I really, I hope that my needs can be met before I even pick up the phone. All right, Um. so we could really go on and on about this, uh, but uh, let's take a quick pause here. We'll be back shortly. Hey folks, I'm David Breer, CEO here at 11FS. I'll be speaking at SASA's Innovation Summit on the 9th of November, where I'll be delivering an exclusive keynote on how banking can unlock innovation in the banking battlefield. The Innovation Summit is your opportunity to be inspired, raise questions and discuss solutions with select banking industry peers and experts on the most pressing issues for you as a leader and decision maker in the industry. This is an exclusive live event aimed at senior executives. The format is intimate and you won't be able to catch this one on demand. So for your chance to address your strategic challenges, unlock the future of your business and make connections, join me at the Innovation Summit hosted by SAS. See you there. Customers expect more from their digital experience and their personal finance is no exception. BlueShift empowers fintechs and financial institutions to create secure customer profiles and intentional, relevant experiences for customers. 
Whether in-app, on-site, in-branch or anywhere else, BlueShift's Smart Hub CDP helps brands like LendingTree and ClearScore turn data into personalised experiences that increase retention, satisfaction and revenue. Learn more about BlueShift at blueshift.com forward slash 11FS. There is a better way to hire internationally, and it starts with deal. Everything from contract creation, record keeping, payments, and full-time employment is all in one place for teams all over the world. Companies anywhere can hire compliantly everywhere thanks to deal. It's payroll and compliance built for today's worldwide workforce. To learn more, visit letsdeal forward slash 11FS. That's letsdeal, D-E-E-L, dot com forward slash 11fs and redeem an exclusive offer of three months free when you hire a contractor and 20% for your first year when you hire an employee. And we're back. So we're going to go into a little bit more about what's next for big data. So it's time to look forward. Uh, Now that big data and our uses of it have become more sophisticated than ever before, uh, what's next in the industry of financial services as a whole? So Richard, uh, during the break, we had a really interesting chat that I was dying to be recorded. Um, Can you guys pick that up again? It was was more of your question around the use of uh, innovative uses of data. So like synthetic data, for example. Yeah, so I think Todd mentioned synthetic data as something that can help, um, I suppose, cut through some of the governance issues that you have when you're looking to train your models within a bank. And uh, me creating that synthetic data set means that you can actually start to um, be a lot more creative and a lot more investigative around how you deal with that data, because ultimately you're not dealing with people's um, personally identifiable information or specific uh, banking records. And so you can be a lot more creative to begin with. Um, and then once, once you've developed that algorithm, reapply it back to the original data sets that you want to, um, you know, use in the business. And, but generating that data is always quite difficult. Um, so I, I guess how, how do you do that? Um, and how can you do it to the point that it actually is sufficiently useful, um, when applied back to the original data sets? Yeah. Well, I can, I can tell you how we do it. We've experimented with multiple synthetic techniques and uh, differential privacy techniques. From a synthetic perspective, we partner with, you know, various banks where we, um, train the synthetic model on real data sets in a compliant, um, manner. So what that does effectively is allow you to produce synthetic data, which is completely obfuscated. Um, with the same statistical properties as the real data, right? And that the data you generate is unencumbered by any legislation. It's, it's free to be used any way you, you want. The, the further testing we've done on that is do analytics on it to see how statistically similar it is and also train various models and, um, evaluate the outcome of those models. And what we found with some synthetic techniques is that the models are about 95% accurate on synthetic versus real data and what what's good enough right so we're still we're still experimenting 95 percent is pretty good um is it good enough we're not quite sure yet we're still experimenting but there is there is ways forward and um there is challenges with it as well but there's there's some interesting techniques i mean differential privacy is another one that basically does the obfuscation on the fly in a way um, and we've been experimenting with that too with a company called called Leap Year. And so it's been uh, it's been an interesting journey. So yeah, I think we've we've touched on really 
uh, the the future, the nitty gritty, like on the on the business side, on the banking side. Um, Sarah, I'm going to come to you. Uh, will will the end customer really see the difference from from this big data breakthrough, uh, or is it just all? Is this just a conversation that's going to be back end? I think absolutely they're they're going to be at the heart of it um, when it when it really gets going. Um, and I think I think consumers will see it in a variety of ways. I think. Um, I think more people are going to have access to more uh, products uh, because of new innovations in assessing and understanding risk. I think we'll have faster processing times. Uh, I think we'll have better interactions. So not only do I recognize you no matter what channel you come in, but I am able to um, kind of pick up on cues you may have left behind in digital exhaust uh, to kind of adapt to and respond productively and relevantly to what you need right now. Um, you know, so I, I do I do think we are the end consumer is going to benefit in a variety of ways from the advances in in big data. But we have to get the plumbing first. So I guess the, the, the nerdy conversation needs to continue so that the cool stuff can happen on, on the surface eventually someday. Um, so I'm going to come to you, uh, Richard, because at 11FS, we talk a lot about being truly digital and, and we advocate for that and we work with our clients to, to, be, to become truly digital. And from a digital riches perspective, so that, that, that refers to um, real-time, intelligent, contextual, human, uh, extended, and social. <laughs> um, can you... Uh, can you just tell me a little bit about how you see big data assisting companies on that journey to become truly digital? Yeah, I mean, I think Sarah touched on it there. It's you know, it has to be customer oriented in the end because ultimately that's that's all the customers really care about. So that real time piece. I mean, Todd mentioned that um, you know the, the the speed that you can use um, big data platforms is is significantly faster than than more traditional systems. Uh, and and the more you fine tune your data pipeline, the faster you can get. Um, so I think that's really important. Intelligence is also really important. So um, Sarah used great, great phrase, digital exhaust. I hadn't come across uh, that one either. So we've got Lake House and digital exhaust. And I think we leave traces as we interact with um, uh, banks and also you know, e-commerce platforms. So Klarna is a great example of using data in a, in a financial services context. And, and you know, understanding people's behavior, combining that with their financial history, and then combining that with the sort of insights that you get from other patterns of people who have had similar uh, interactions can start to make a much more fine-tuned offer to that customer. So it can be more intelligent. Um, and of course, it can be in contextual as well. So contextual means, you know, you get given the offer when you need it rather than necessarily having to go somewhere, be asked to, uh, you know, find a loan to pay for something and then heading off, getting the loan organized through the bank and then coming back and paying for it. Whereas again, Klan is a great example of saying, well, you can have the loan immediately in context right now. So I think that's sort of, you know, real time intelligent and contextual is really where we're going to see things happen automagically. Um, but getting that digital exhaust, getting that financial information and combining it all is what's necessary to be able to give that smooth experience. So, yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's really cool. I think 11 of us, we have our work cut out for us. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I know that there, there is quite a chasm to cross for like large incumbents really who maybe slowly or, you know, coming to terms with big data and understanding how to, how to manage and, and leverage the data that they do have. Cause they, they probably out of anyone have like, the most amazing sets of you know big data because for just purely based on how long they've they've been in the market for and uh, but they're still being outpaced by these challenges so 
Um, can can you, Richard, just talk a little bit about uh, will traditional banks make up that lost ground uh, on challengers when it comes to data solutions? Will is that possible? You know, it's it's going to be hard and expensive, but do you think it's it's really going to happen? You know, if I'm pushed, I think the answer is probably no. Um, but does that mean that they can't make significant progress? Uh, no, I don't think so. So I, I, I struggle to think how they, they really catch up. Um, but I can imagine them making a lot of advances. Um, so for instance, I, uh, you know, Todd mentioned, um, you know, more sophisticated credit scoring, which will allow, um, banks to offer products to people who've been perhaps, uh, underserved or, or just left out of the market completely. So I think there's great market opportunity for them to, to move into people who are unbanked or, you know, don't necessarily have the credit history, particularly after COVID. Um, credit history is pretty messed up. So I think that's one area. Um, and I think the, one of the areas that they will make a lot of progress eventually is in their regulatory reporting. Um, it's something that we don't see from the outside, but banks spend a tremendous amount of money on reporting and compliance to the various regulators and to their shareholders and so forth. And I think if they can start to you know, sort of unlock that um, cost and start to bring that down, um, we'll see a lot more smoother operations within banks. They'll save a lot of money on that basis and maybe learn a lot on the way as well, which may not be seen by the customers, but ultimately it's something that the banks, I think, will benefit from. Todd, I'm curious if you have uh, an opposing opinion based uh, you know, to Richard, because you work with large banks and and a lot of your work, I imagine, is, is to help them close that gap. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Temenos works with large banks, but we're also, I think, the leading provider to, to challengers as well. So we have uh, lots of up and coming challenger banks. I would echo uh, what Richard said, right? I mean, the challenger banks we work with are data savvy from day one, they understand what they need. Um, they're not, they're greenfield, so they're nimble, right? But the thing they don't have is existing data sets, existing data history. Uh, Sarah's nodding her head because she knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? So they don't have the fuel that the big banks have, but they have a lot, to, a lot of times the knowledge and the skills to get there. So how do they, how do they close that gap, right? Uh, there, there is firms in the market um, like Kiranos that offer, you know, data and data as a service that can help them accelerate, right? Um, but sometimes it takes those challengers a little bit to gain that customer history, especially if they're greenfield new banks, uh, before they can really execute on 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 some of those analytical and AI um, aspirations that they have. I, I would echo um, both. I think maybe the one additional point that I might make is, you know, smaller. Uh, traditional financial institutions, I think, will really be the ones that have the hardest road to pave. Um, the large incumbents have scale, um, capital scale, technology scale, marketing scale, network scale that can they can sort of use to compete effectively um, and and buy time uh, to to sort of catch up, and they can then I think do a maybe potentially an even better job when they're firing on all cylinders because of the massive customer scales that they have. It's the smaller banks that don't have the data scale that are potentially going to need to find new ways of cooperation um, kind of a, with each other um, to drive the, the AI um, at a level that, that will enable them to, to compete productively. Totally agree. I think, I think that um, having that chasm and that gap uh, really affecting the smaller 
banking banks and smaller companies, community banks even, uh, opens up the space for opportunities to become service providers like yourselves. Um, so that, that that's really cool. So I'm going to just toss the question to the group. Uh, where where do you guys see, we can talk about like specifically niche fintech banking stuff or you know outside of banking, wh- which sectors are yet to fully embrace data solutions? Uh, and, and I mean, I'm going to just selfishly personally say that like, I would love to have like my grocery shopping experience be like super like just like embedded in like I'm hungry right then and there the ingredients to make my favorite dish are there you know what I mean like so what about what do, what do you guys think I'm we'll start with you Sarah which sectors uh, you picked on one of my personal favorites I have a fantasy of. Um, so grocery is a category that's like all about distribution of products instead of solving my problem, which is, oh my God, what am I going to put on the table for dinner for my kids and my, my spouse and me tonight? And uh, and if they could do a better job of helping me solve that problem and anticipate that problem uh, on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, that that's my a- absolute fantasy. Um, you know, I, I, I do think financial services is a, a category or a sector that has the biggest innovation still to come. Um, you know, I think we all have this picture of, of a fuzzy personalization kind of first world um, in financial services. We're such a long way from that. Um, and so I think that's, you know, this is this is probably one of the most interesting and exciting sectors to be in in this point of digital transformation right now. Um, Sarah, I I agree, totally agree because you know um, I forget who said this, but saying that like people we're we're tired of making choices, we're we're tired of making decisions. Like people don't want more choice. We just want to be more confident in our decisions. Um, so yeah, really hit the nail on the head. Todd, what are your thoughts? Well, I would just pick up on what you just said there. I think across all banking sectors, if we're going to focus on banking, um, things are moving to kind of full automation, right? So how does my bank interact with me in a way where it's automating everything that needs to be done and informing me that things have happened when they have been done? Or if there's something that is uh, impactful enough to ask me for a prompt before a particular transaction has happened, it, it asks me for a prompt, right? So um, that fully automated banking experience is definitely coming, but the underpinnings of it need to be need to be built, right? The data, the big data, the AI infrastructure, all that stuff we're building now is going to support this fully automated banking in the future across all sectors. It'll probably come in retail first because that's where a lot of the you know investments going from a fintech perspective, et cetera, but it'll come to corporate SME wealth payments, um, all the other areas of banking um, shortly after. That's great. Richard, uh, where do you think who's yet yet to fully embrace uh, big data? Yeah, so I, I like the grocery idea. Um, yeah, I actually worked um, with a small team of people last year on uh, digitizing your, your grocery bill and then providing you with a carbon footprint for that grocery bill when you got to the checkout. So, um, you know, if, you're, if your blueberries came from, you know, Chile, um, then, you know, you got a bad score, uh, and, and, and you could potentially, um, even scan as you go and then have a, you know, target carbon footprint for your shop and then see how that works out. So, you know, starting to sort of combine, uh, you know, genuine user experience in a grocery shop, financial information, and then other kind of data sets, which would be brought in to sort of inform you to have an ambition beyond just shopping, but being confident about your decisions, as you said, 
and feeling like you're making the right decisions you know, for the planet. Uh, so I think that's quite an interesting space um, to go into. Uh, and I, I think we touched on it a little bit, you know, reaching um, unbanked people in, in sort of third world countries and finding a way to you know, bring financial services to them and un, you know, sort of unlock them from that sort of poverty trap that uh, lack of access to finance creates. I think that's an area that um, I'm super excited about. And uh, although it is a third world problem in the sort of you know headlines, I think it's also a massive problem in the United States, for example. Uh, and, and and indeed, it's also a problem you know throughout most of the developed world. It's it's a sort of hidden hidden issue that I think uh, I'd love to see banks focus more energy at. And as, as people were talking, one more bubbled up for me, and that is, um, you know, at, at our core, and this, I think, really matters in financial services, we're still social beings. And, um, and how can big data and technology inform the humans at the helm of financial institutions, the bankers that we interact with in more productive ways to serve end customers? So almost like, uh, dashboards that enable, you know, a single banker to serve hundreds, if not thousands of customers more productively with kind of appropriately timed human outreach, human interaction. Um, so I think that's also another really potentially interesting area, especially as it relates to financial wellness um, and, and improvement. So it's great. Um, thank you so much, everyone. This is, I, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of time, but we could really, I, I didn't think I could go on for hours and hours about big data before today. This was such a great conversation. So uh, we're going to wrap up today's conversation. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, where can people find out more about you and your companies, uh, Sarah? Uh, you can find out more at curinos.com, C-U-R-I-N-O-S.com or LinkedIn. Um, definitely two places to find us. Awesome. Todd? Um, yeah, you can check me out on LinkedIn or Temenos uh, online at temenos.com. And I'll, I'll plug our upcoming Temenos Scale Developer Conference, November 16th and 17th, where you can learn about our big data solutions, our APIs, and all the other fun stuff we, we have to enable developers. Uh, and of course, our industry event, which is our community forum, which will be sometime in April or May. I should probably know what that is. I'm not sure we announced the date yet. If there is a date, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, TCF and scale. Awesome. Thank you. Richard? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn um, or just come to 11fs.com. Uh, I think I'm the only person with my name in the world. Um, but if anyone proved me different, then uh, fine. So just Google does it. That's great. And as for me, you can find me at 11fs.com. Uh, also spend a bit of time on Twitter, not Guerra. Uh, so thanks for listening. Um, if you'd like what you've heard, please do subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It really, really helps make the show better and helps other people find the show as well. Um, as always, if you want to join in the conversation, you are more than welcome to. So find us on social media or just search for 11fs or Fintech Insider, or you can even email podcast at 11fs.com. Uh, thanks so much and goodbye.